In each of our lives, there are places where we feel completely stuck. Sometimes it's us who continues to drive that nail deeper. Sometimes it's situations outside of our control. Maybe you've tried to pull the nail out for years and try as you might, it just seems impossible. But what if there was a way to experience lasting freedom and hope? What if there was a way to break free? Well, hello, friends. If I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King Church, and I'm excited to be with you. You know, it's been a while since I've got the opportunity to share with you. So before we start, I just want to remind you if that there's anything that I say that touches your heart and encourages you, then you can feel free to come and find me in the comments afterwards. I would love to connect with you. But on the other end of the spectrum, if there's anything that I say that you disagree with, anything that offends you or makes you mad, you can always feel free to email me. Again, my email address is granternestfishbook at hotmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as I possibly can. But seriously, today I want to jump right in. We've got so many scriptures and so many different stops that we're going to take along the way that I just want to dive in. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 20, and we're going to be looking at another chapter in Abraham's life. And so we're going to start in verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can pull those out. If not, you've got your apps. You can feel free to read along. If not, it'll be up on the screen for you. And uh, just as a warning, this is not one of humanity's finer moments, but this is the reality of Abraham's story, and so we are going to look straight at it and see what we can gain from it. So starting in verse 1, it says, Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of this woman that you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And didn't she also say, He is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Thus saith the word of the Lord. And aren't you so glad that you came to church today? It's like, man, pastor, how did you know the exact passage that my heart needed to hear? I know, I know. But honestly, I'm so thankful for today's text. And what makes it so fascinating to me isn't necessarily what happened in it, but what happened before it. If you don't know the backstory or you weren't here last week, Pastor Grant did an incredible job of unpacking Genesis 12, where Abraham, uh, in a completely different time and place, lied and told a bunch of people that his wife Sarah was his sister and effectively used her as a bartering chip. He used her beauty uh, just to actually gain status and right standing and safe passage into a community. And as you can imagine, this did not go well for any of the parties involved. 
trust got broken, and deep pain was inflicted, havoc ensued. It was not a particularly proud moment for our friend Abraham, and yet here we are eight chapters later, and it's like deja vu. It's like a glitch in the matrix. It's like we're reading the exact same story over again, because what happens? The heat gets turned up on our friend Abraham, and he goes back to the exact same vice the exact same lie that he used to preserve himself before. And instead of loving his wife, he uses his wife as a bartering chip in a cowardly act of self-preservation. Now, I just want to remind you who it is that we're talking about here today. Like, like, this is the dude. This is Abraham. This is the man that God chose to bless the entire world through. This is the guy that you sang about if you were one of those youth group kids. This is Father Abraham, had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, so let's go praise the Lord. This is that Abraham. This is a great man of faith, and yet what we learn in this story is that even though this man has a lot of faith, he also has a lot of dysfunction. What we learn about Abraham is that even though he has a lot of discipline and devotion, he also has a lot of stupidity. Like he has a lot of humanity that's welled up inside of his story. And today what I want to talk to you about is what do we do when we fall, not for the first time, but when we fall again, when we fall into the same trap that we fell into before. But before we dive into this, I just want an opportunity to pray for us. So will you bow your heads, Holy Spirit? We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the fact that your Bible is not just a group and a collection of stories of unattainable people and unattainable examples that we could never actually relate to. God, that there is humanity in the pages. So Jesus, we pray, God, that we would learn, God, today from Father Abraham what it looks like to actually have faith in you, even when we get distracted, even when we go back to the well that we know brings nothing good, God, even when we fall down and fall short. God, would you give us humility today to engage, to listen, God, to ask questions, God, to actually be in your presence in such a way that you can speak and we can listen, God, and not just that, not that we would just feel a certain way, but God, that we would leave changed, that we would make different decisions because we see the example. God, we love you. God, would you mold us? Would you shape us? Would we be your light? God, not just to the city, but to this world. God, thank you for your presence in this place. And God, we pray that we would, uh, that we would be moved closer into alignment with your will for our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said... Amen and amen. Honestly, friends, I've been so excited to share my message title with you. Um, all week I've been waiting for it. So what I want you to do right now is I want you to look at your neighbor. I don't care if you want to or not. I'm, this isn't a participation, yes or no. This is like a we're going to do this together. I've been waiting all week for it. So look at your neighbor, and here's what I want you to tell him. I want you to tell him the title of my message, which is a quote from the great theologian, Brittany Spears. I want you to look at them, and I want you to say, oops, I did it again. Oops, I did it again. Congratulations, now that song's going to be stuck in your head for the next three days. Oops, I did it again. I was talking with our team before service started, and they were, we were talking about Genesis 20, and they're like, man, I cannot believe that Abraham did that thing again. Like, I can't believe that he did the same thing that he did all those chapters before, and that he did it again. Like, that just makes no sense to me. And I looked straight back at him and I said, yeah, thank God we're not like that, huh? 
Thank God you and I are these mature people of faith that don't actually repeat our mistakes. I wonder if you're feeling a little bit brave by a show of hands. Has anyone in this room ever repeated a stupid decision more than once? Okay, that is good to know because uh, me personally, I haven't done that, but it's good to know that, that so many of you are going to relate to this word. I'm kidding, of course. But what I'm getting at is the fact that it's easy to identify sinful patterns in other people, isn't it? It's easy to spot out sin and brokenness when you're looking at somebody else. But really, the trick, the hard thing is, what does it look like for me to identify the sinful patterns in my life and to actually hold them before me, invite Jesus into it and say, God, would you move? Jesus says in, uh, in this scripture, he says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And really, at the heart of this series, Break Free, is this idea that we're trying to take the log out of our own eye so that we can see clearly, so that we can see God clearly, so that we can see humanity clearly, so that we can actually be of help to somebody else. We can't just be a walking hypocrite doing the same thing that we are just always disgusted in in other people. And, and right now, right in the middle of this series, we are just looking at what does it look like to truly commit ourselves to this work? Because, friends, you can't correct your own mistakes by pointing out the mistakes in others. You can't correct your own mistakes by pointing out the mistakes of others. That's not how it works. You actually have to go through and you have to do the work. Because each and every one of us in this room has something that we get to share in common, and that's that we've all got something that we're working on or working through. And as I've been thinking about and praying for this series, the, the scripture that has really kind of struck a chord with me and that's kind of come to the forefront is in Romans 7. And if you know this scripture, it's so good. Paul says this in Romans 7, chapter, or, uh, verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I mean, talk about relatable. I don't think that there's a single verse in all of Scripture that so eloquently captures the epitome and the essence of the human experience more than this. It says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. I was thinking this week, you know, so many people like have these, these verses up in their living room. They have Jeremiah 29, 11, And I just wish somebody had the courage to put this one up in their entryway. So you come into their house and it says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. And I'll be like, yes, I get that. Let's actually connect because you aren't projecting some version of perfection. You're actually entering into the story and asking God, what does it look like for me to wrestle with this tendency that I have in my heart? I love how Pastor Eugene puts it in the message. He says, I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. He says, my decisions, such as they are, don't always result in actions. And he says, something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. And this is the essence of what we're talking about. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. And so we get left with this question of how do we as fickle human beings caught in these cycles of sin actually invite the Holy Spirit of the living God into the middle of our mess so that we can begin to walk in the freedom that we've been promised. And I found that there's really two parts of this process. There's the part that talks about what we do, but then there's also this part of the work 
that comes to what do we cling to? So part of it is what do we do, and part of it is what do we cling to, and today what I want to talk to you about is actually what we choose to cling to in those moments of our life where we fall down again. What we choose to hold on to, or what do we choose to hold on to when we fall short of our expectations and God's plan again? And in the moments in our life where we don't feel like we're enough, what does it look like to position ourselves before God so that breakthrough can break out in our lives? So what does it look like to be the type of people that God can use and mold and shape and actually break chains from? And the first idea is pretty simple, is this, when we fall, we need to cling to and remember the reality that God's not looking for perfect, he's looking for available. So God's not looking for perfect, he's looking for available. So the first message I ever preached a bunch of years ago was a message that was called, don't or God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And it's really this idea that if you want to be used by God, it's not about becoming better, it's about becoming better at saying yes to whatever God puts in front of you. Like there's this idea of availability that God will use you if you say, yes, Lord, even in the middle of what I'm going through, I want to be used by you. That is actually what I want most in my heart. I want you to have access to all of me. Is anybody in here thankful that God doesn't just call the qualified, he qualifies the called? Like this is our story. And Abraham is such a beautiful example of this, even though he's broken in so many ways, some of which we get to talk about today, some of them we're just leaving off. We don't have time to talk about all of his brokenness, but he's so broken and yet he still finds ways to say yes to God's call on his life. This is like his superpower. This is what I look at Abraham and say, that's what I want. I want to be somebody who even when I'm embarrassed with what I've done, continues to say yes to God and say, God, will you still use me? I'm still here. I'm still available. And I know that I've done it again, but Lord Jesus, I know that your grace is sufficient. What does it look like to actually have no ego in the game? Abraham doesn't let his ego get in the way when he falls down over and over. What he does is he gets back up over and over and keeps chasing after the promises of God. Does that sound like the type of people that we would want to be? It makes me think of this Ted Lasso episode. Ted's talking to this player and he says, you know what the happiest animal in the world is? He says, it's a goldfish. He says, you want to know why? He says, because it's got a 10 second memory. He says, be a goldfish. And I was looking at this. I don't know if this will make sense to you, but this was like revolutionary for me. I'm like, dude, Abraham, when it comes to his failure, is a goldfish. Like he just forgets about his failure and just continues to follow after God's plan. He doesn't linger on his bad decisions. He lingers on the promises of God that are before him. It's amazing. Friends, God didn't pick Abraham because he was perfect. Surely not. He picked him because he was available and because he kept saying yes. And that is just the idea that I want us to center on as we talk about what does it look like to break free from these cycles of addiction. We actually need to be people, even in the middle of our most broken state, still say yes to what God puts before us. Friends, I came here today to tell somebody to stop lingering on the last thing that you did and start saying yes to the next thing that God has before you. Because it's actually in the working with God that God does his best work on us. It's actually when we partner with God, even in our most broken state, 
that he does some of the most radical miracles in our life. And I just got to say, some of you want to break free, but God's saying breakthrough doesn't happen when you're sitting on the sidelines. Breakthrough happens when you say yes to the work that he puts in front of you. You say yes consistently. You say yes even when you don't feel like it. You feel, or you say yes even when you don't feel worthy. Because even if you don't feel worthy, God has said that you are worthy. So I am going to be available even if I feel unequipped. Because I know that God will give me everything I need. And it's in those moments where we fall short of God's plan that we need to cling to and remember that God's not looking for perfect. He's looking for available. And if you just give him what you've got, you'll be amazed what God can do. Friends, second idea. So we've got to cling to the idea that God's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for humble people. So, so, so we need to be available, but we also need to be humble. I found this quote this week that says, making mistakes is better than faking perfection. Making mistakes is better than faking perfection. And isn't that so true? You know, it reminded me of one of my favorite scriptures in 2 Corinthians 12, when Paul says, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the economy of God. When I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, we've got to understand that God is not looking for perfect people. He is looking for humble people. And one of the coolest things about our God is that it says his power is made perfect in weakness, which means that if you're trying to cover up your weakness, what you're actually doing is covering up the power of God that's on your life. And if you're trying to put a filter over your brokenness, if you're trying to hide from those areas of your life, then you're completely missing the point of what Jesus came to do. You're short-circuiting the power and the glory that God gets to flow over your life. He didn't choose you because you're strong. Friends, he didn't choose you because you're good. He chose you because he loves you, and there's nothing about you that surprises him, and there's nothing about you that scares him. He says, I knew it all when I chose you. I know it all now. I picked you, and I would pick you again, regardless of what cycle you find yourself in, regardless of what you did last night. Regardless of what shame you're feeling, even now in this moment, he says, I would pick you again. Friends, I think we need to hear this. God wants healing for you, but he won't heal what you choose to hide. He won't, he won't actually heal the things that you are trying to actually step around and project to the world that nothing's wrong. That's why for the past two weeks, Pastor Grant's been up here inviting you to answer the question, what is your besetting sin? What is the thing that has you most stuck right now? And he's been saying, don't just think about it, write it down. Because there's something that happens. There's a power that we actually get to access when we admit our weakness because his power is made perfect in weakness, which means that you're not doing God any favors by pretending to be strong. His power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, what does it look like to boast in our weakness? But we can't boast in something if we pretend it doesn't exist. God's looking for humble people. Humble people are honest people who say, honestly, God, I need you because I'm broken. God's not looking for, people, for, for perfect people. God's looking for 
or he's not looking for impressive people. He's looking for humble people because humble people are honest about their need for God. Paul says, that's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, we've got to learn to be broken together if we ever want to break free together. We've got to learn to let people in if we ever want to allow people to see God's presence and God's grace and God's power over our lives. We're doing no favors to God or ourselves by staying in hiding. He is not looking for perfect people or people that project perfection. He is looking for a humble people who says, God, I need you today. I wonder what God is inviting you to actually admit today, either to yourself or to somebody else. He's saying, I don't need you to be strong. I'm strong. I don't need you to be perfect. I'm perfect. And my grace is sufficient for you. The third thing we need to cling to in moments where we fall short of God's plan and we fall over again is the idea that God's not looking for perfect people. He's actually looking for hungry people. He's not looking for perfect people, friends. He's looking for hungry people. What do I mean by that? This year, I've actually taken up a new hobby. I've been learning about revival in the church. Like it's, it's the best. I don't know if you're into that kind of thing, but I've been reading about the spaces and places where God has showed up in incredible ways and he's changed and impacted generations and nations. And, and one of the things that I've been doing is listening to this sermon series of this pastor out in New York City. His name is John Tyson. And the sermon series, like just, I was like, yes, that's the thing. He says, God comes where he's wanted. God comes where he is wanted. And what he did is he really tried to take a cross section of all the major cases of revival in church history so that he, so that he could identify what the common denominators were. He was trying to figure out what are the variables at play that were present in every case of revival in the church. And after copious amounts of research, what he found is that there weren't multiple variables. There was but one variable present in every single case of revival. And it was simply an insatiable hunger for God. So if you want to know what's the prerequisite of revival, not just in the world, but in your heart, it's not just having the right thoughts or living the right life. It's actually having just, just a hunger for God that is so genuine. God, I need your grace. I need your presence in my life today. Not tomorrow, not next week. God, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. God, and I know your grace is sufficient for me, but I need it to fall afresh again. Because God comes where he's wanted. Friends, the common denominator of revival isn't strategy. It isn't philosophy. It isn't theology. It's a genuine hunger for God's presence. I wonder, church, are you hungry for God's presence? Are you hungry for more of God? I want to submit to you that if you want to break free from addiction or patterns of sin in your life, it's not hatred of sin that you need to grow. It's actually a hunger for God that you need to steward and fan into a flame. 
It's a commitment to saying less of me and more of you, O Lord. It's saying, God, would you have your way in my life? It's every single day saying, God, I need more of you, God. I even need my hunger to grow because I know that it's not where it needs to be. If I just knew a sliver of everything that you've done for me, God, I would have an insatiable appetite for more of you. So God, would you give me the gift of desiring you more today? David was the man of God's own heart, and he wrote in Psalm 63. He said, God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. It says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name, I will lift up my hands. And what's so interesting about this psalm isn't the content, it's actually the context in which it was written. Most scholars believe that at the time that it was written, David was actually in hiding. David had a son named Absalom, and Absalom had decided that he wanted the empire that David had built, so he decided to overthrow his own father and take it for himself. So David was literally being hunted by his own son. His son was trying to kill him, and he was in hiding. Everything that he built was taken away. His most precious gift, his own kid, had decided that he wanted what he owned more than he wanted his dad. He says, I'm going to take it. And he's literally been pushed out. He's on the fringes and he's hiding. And yet when he sets down, the words that flow out of his heart in the lowest of low places are, God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. He doesn't say, save me, God. He says, God, I need more of your presence. He's not praying for protection. He's praying for God. I earnestly seek your presence. Even in the lowest of lows, David's heart was still burning for more of God. Friends, if you find yourself stuck, here's my question. Are you hungry? Are you hungry because God's not looking for perfect people? He's looking for hungry people because God comes where he is wanted. And if you're hungry, I want you to know that you are perfectly positioned to have breakthrough, breakout in your life. Friends, if you are hungry for God, keep cultivating that flame. But maybe you're not there right now and you're thinking to yourself, but what do I do if I'm not hungry? What if I do, or what do I do if I don't really feel that burning in my heart? And that's a deep question, but the answer is actually quite simple. If you're not hungry, you've got to get around somebody who is. You've got to get around the flame. If you're not on fire, you've got to position yourself closer to the flame. I got this picture this week of Christmas Eve service, and if you're holding a candle in your hand and it's not lit, what do you need to do? You actually need to go place yourself next to somebody whose candle is burning, and you need to place your flame right next to it so it can burn for itself. What if that's what church is always meant to do? It's not a place to come learn ethics. It's a place where we can come and fan our faith into a flame, where we can stand in the presence of the Almighty God and say, God, I need you again. 
God, I long for you, but I need more of your presence. Lord Jesus, would you pour out your presence on my life? Friends, when we fall, we need to remember that God's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for hungry people. And Lord knows Abraham wasn't perfect, but he was hungry to be used by God. That's why I love Abraham. He just kept getting up. And I love his story because it doesn't actually end in Genesis. It gets told again a couple other times. And the time I want to talk about is in the book of Romans. And when Paul tells Abraham's story, it actually ends up sounding a bit different. So starting in Romans chapter 4, verse 18, this is what he says. He says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in the faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was almost 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. I always thought Romans 4 was interesting because when Paul tells Abraham's story, it seems like there's a few parts that kind of conveniently get left out, you know. You know, when Paul sits down to write about Abraham, for some reason he never mentions that Abraham was a coward who repeatedly lied about his wife being his sister. Instead, what he says is, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Also, just as a side note, it says, believed and so became. What you're believing is what you're becoming. And when Paul writes about his life, he doesn't mention that Abraham laughed in the face of God. No, instead, he says, he never wavered through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Friends, as it turns out, what mattered most in the eyes of God when God actually inspired Paul to write this story what mattered in the eyes of God when all was said and done was that Abraham kept running after the promise. What mattered is that he was faithful to continuing to get up even when he fell down. And that didn't mean that he got it perfect. That didn't mean that he always got it right. It just meant that he kept walking towards God. No matter how many times he fell down, he kept getting back up. No matter how many times he embarrassed himself, he kept moving in the direction of God. You see, the issue with most people isn't that they aren't good enough to be used by God. It's that they aren't humble enough to keep running back to God every time that they mess up. There's this piece of, am I undignified enough to set aside my ego and say, God, would you use me again? This is at the core of breaking cycles is getting back up again and partnering and yoking ourselves to the work that God wants to do with us. Here's what I love about Abraham. He had the kind of faith that when he messed up, he didn't run away from God. He ran towards God. He trusted that God wasn't done with him yet. And friends, I'm here today to tell you that there are going to be people who choose to focus on your failures. There are always going to be people who define you by your lowest moments. But know this about God. His voice is always spurring you forward. His voice is always calling you upward. He says, get up, son. Get up, daughter. I am not done with you yet. You are not your lowest moments. You are not your mistakes and you are not your failures. You are and always will be exactly what God says you are. So friend, get up, dust yourself off, and keep running after the promises of God. Amen?
So as we close today, I actually want to give you a moment to listen, not just to me, but to God. And each week throughout this series, we're going to be giving you a question, a truth, and a step. And so if you've got your journal with you, you can get that ready. If not, you can just use whatever you got or even just pull out your phone and write a note. But this question, or this week, the question is, if God says you're qualified, then why do you keep disqualifying yourself? What is it about you that thinks that what you think about yourself is more true than what God says? What is it about yourself that when you fall into cycles of sin, that you fall or that you feel like God no longer has the power to use broken people? Again, if God says you're qualified, why do you keep disqualifying yourself? The truth that I want to leave you with is it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. God is so all-encompassing. There's so much to him. And yet scripture says that it's actually his loving kindness that leads to repentance. And until you actually come face to face with that God who looks at you with love, that's when we actually are enabled through the power of the spirit to repent, which just means to turn away and to start marching towards our Jesus. The step this week, I'm actually gonna leave that up to you and God to decide. Maybe there's something he's inviting you to say yes to because God's not looking for perfect, he's looking for available. Maybe there's something he's inviting you to admit to yourself because he's not looking for perfect, he's looking for humble. There's something in humility that you are being asked to bring to the surface. Maybe he's just inviting you to spend some time with him or get around somebody who's got what you want so that you can begin to want it for yourself. Maybe you gotta position yourself next to the flame so that you can begin to burn with passion. I don't know what your step is, but I wanna invite you right now to ask him the question, God, what are you asking me to step towards this week? So I'm gonna pray for you, then we're gonna listen, then we're gonna respond in worship. So would you bow your heads, Holy Spirit, God, thank you for every person in this room. God, thank you for your presence in this room. God, I am painfully aware that there are no words that I can say that would ever change a heart, but God, I know that you can. God, I know that your spirit, there is no wall too high. There's no structure that's too dense, God, for you to break through. So God, I pray, God, that chains would be broken. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that freedom would be experienced. God, that people would choose something new. God, that chains, God, would fall off when they see your loving kindness. Jesus, we pray that right now in this moment that you would stir in a way that only you can. You would translate, God, whatever message people need to hear. God, we love you. We want to look more like you. God, help us to sense you, but God, give us a boldness to follow you. You are working in our midst. God, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So again, this time, over the next couple minutes, you're just going to get a little bit of music behind you so that you can just consider what it is that God's inviting you into this week. If you've got a journal, use your journal. If you've got a phone, use your phone. If you've got a scrap of paper, write it down. Again, the question, is why do you disqualify yourself if God says you're qualified? It says loving kindness that leads to repentance. So what's the step God's inviting you to take? We're gonna take a couple minutes to consider that.
and then we're gonna respond and sing. Let's go to God together.